0: Welcome to Friends of George McDonald, an ongoing podcast designed to introduce and discuss the author and his influence on the hosts and listeners and popular culture alike. Well, welcome everybody to the first Making Friends with George McDonald. So we should probably start with saying who we are.
1: I'm Dale probably been reading MacDonald for 40-some years now, pretty regularly. Very interested in his writings and the stories and what I have read. Just started reading the biography by his son recently, and I'm about a halfway through that. I find that very interesting to find a little bit more about some of the letters and things like that. I've been interested in potentially doing something like this for quite some time, trying to Encourage others to read and listen as they might. And we have the opportunity now to give that a go, so we'll see what happens.
2: I'm James. I've been reading George MacDonald for about 20 years now, since the week I first heard of him. In that time, I have read around 70 of his works all of his novels, most of his poetry, and all of his unpublished non-fiction works, such as Hope of the Gospel and Unspoken Sermons. Although I have not studied his biography intently, I've enjoyed learning about his life and his family through the many things, the tidbits, and facts that are shared by a lot of the good folks in some of the online communities about George MacDonald.
0: It's interesting with the biographies because they all contain some errors and they all kind of have their own approach to him. Um, but I think if you go through the main ones, you'll find a fairly clear picture of the man. Um, Barbara Mell has been great in clarifying some of the the errors in Wingfold Magazine and those things. Um, I've been reading McDonald's since I was 17. Uh, a friend of mine, my favorite person ever, gave me a copy of Lilith and Fantasties which was mind-blowing, and I didn't know there was any more after that. And then I moved from the mountains to Cincinnati, Ohio, and their library had an enormous collection. And I dove in and haven't looked back since. So what's your favorite work?
1: Whatever I'm reading.
2: (laughs) I would have to say the same. I couldn't name a favorite work. I could maybe name a favorite 10, perhaps. (laughs) It would certainly be hard to choose. Some of my favorite novels would be, in no particular order, What's Mine is Mine, Donald Grant, Robert Falconer, and I quite like the Malcolm series, and of course, uh, At the Back of the North Wind. But even some of the novels that are a little further off, the commonly beaten path, are quite awesome. I actually got quite a lot out of reading St. George and St. Michael, at about the height of the COVID pandemic and during some of the social, cultural, and political upheaval that was going on in that same year, I found it very appropriate for the times as that novel and its characters are based in the time of the English Civil War of a few centuries ago. I found it quite stunning some of the parallels that I found
0: in there. How about you, Dale? Like I said, I
1: pretty much like what I'm reading of his at the time. I've always liked Gibby quite a bit, and Donald Grant, those characters, Janet, and uh, I like Polworth a lot, so I like the Wingfold books, but I'm fond of all of them. I, I find the little gems that he throws in as though he's reading over his own shoulder and commenting at times to be very rich, uh, a sentence here, <laughs> a couple sentences there, a sermon there. <laughs> And things like that to be very useful. I enjoy the unspoken sermons, very challenging. There's something that for me, I, I can't see reading them from a superficial standpoint or trying to really, I don't know, tear them apart or examine them or anything like that. It's as though, in a sense, MacDonald, in a way, I suppose is like a uh, like the thread, grandma's thread, and the princess and Curdy going through the goblin caves, leading us along into the light in a way that is unique. Curdy didn't much believe it until he saw it. And I think a lot of times it takes some serious challenges to a belief to absorb or decide to do what MacDonald is writing in those. I think they're fabulous.
2: Reading unspoken sermons feels like reading a very long, almost perfect thread of consciousness of all the wisdom and understanding that MacDonald had of the gospel.
1: I find in them at times that he says things that I think he was himself working out his own salvation with fear and trembling in writing those things. Sometimes I think they surprised him. I know I've experienced that composing music, for example, going along and something happens, and it's like, where did that come from? And I think he know he knew that about that that man really can't create, but can discover what's already there. And I think he was able to do that and to communicate it to others, probably in his speaking too. That would have been interesting, huh?
0: I wish there were recordings. Um, the reports of them are amazing though but um, you had mentioned uh, the sermons and asides and stuff that's one of the things I've seen people object to in literary circles as not being straight novels and for my money that's part of what makes it special you get uh, Grandpa George or Uncle George reading with you so you get whatever the story is you get whatever the the thoughts are that are involved in that but then you also get the time spent with George which I find makes it a more intimate read.
2: Yep. I definitely read his novels more for his side thoughts and sermons than for the story. Initially, the first book of his that I picked up, I was reading for the story. I mentioned to a co-worker that I was reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to my younger daughter. And my co-worker said, have you heard of George MacDonald? And then he proceeded to tell me a few things about MacDonald focused on his fantasy works for children but somehow when I went home and I looked him up somehow I just felt drawn not to those books but rather to start with his first novel David Elkinbroad*. and by the third chapter of that I knew I had picked up something special and I've been reading McDonald ever since I think in that book as quickly as the first chapter
0: he's making side comments to his readers I think my first of the the non fantasy novels uh, was What's Mind's Mine, and as, similarly, I was you know blown away. The fantasy you give you know people a little more leeway with the straighter Victorian novel. It was just an amazing experience. And then, of course, I uh, tried to get everyone else to read George McDonald' because it's unlike anything else.
2: I think my wife sometimes wishes I would shut up a bit about him. <laughs>
0: I was happy that you listed what's mine's mine in your favorites list, because that's definitely one of mine as well. There's a lot of good meat there. I also like that there's a vast array of of people now, such as yourself. Um, Back in the early days of this, you'd go into bookstores, and you'd ask if they had any George MacDonald, and you would either get blank stares, or they would remember Princess and the Goblin, maybe North Wind if you were lucky. If you were in a Christian bookstore, then Michael Phillips stuff was coming out and they were like, oh yeah, that's the Michael Phillips stuff. So it's amazing with the rise of the internet and Facebook and all those things that people can connect all over the world. So my hope is that as we go along, we'll be able to talk to some of the people um, that we've connected with online and share their George experience as well. Yes, I'm looking forward to doing that. There are several people in
2: online communities I'd like to chat with.
0: So strangely enough, some of them... Um, I've known for 25 years um, since listserv days, so it's kind of neat to see that as well. The internet's kind of a strange place in that you know people. Dale and I have talked at length, so you know people sort of, but I think this will be a great addition to that. So, how how old were you guys when you found George?
1: I let's see, I probably was in my somewhere in my late 20s, something like that.
0: Still a young fella.
2: I would have been approximately 25, or more likely 27
1: or 8. You know, I actually think the first book I may have read by him was the, I can't remember the title or the guy's name, but it was the author from uh, Wheaton wrote a book about him. Who's You know that one, Dan. Who's that?
0: I don't know from schools, but uh, I'm sure it's on the shelf here.
1: What was it called? Myth maker, or...
0: Oh, Victorian Mythmaker. Was that Rice? It is on the shelf here. One second.
1: That might have been the first book of his that I read. I'm not sure or that was about him. I found him from reading Lewis. When I saw Lewis write McDonald, my master, I wondered who that was. <laughs> and later reading that he said that he never wrote anything that he didn't draw upon MacDonald, that, that attracted me as well. I couldn't find any of the books when I read that. I think maybe that biography was what got it.
0: Roland Hine?
1: That's it. There we go.
0: What's the name of the book? Victorian Mythmaker.
1: Yeah, that's the one.
0: So he did an assortment of books. I believe Sunrise Press came out with some of those.
1: Reprinted them, you mean?
0: Yep. So they were also early days doing the unedited versions in, in leather, which was also Michael Phillips stuff so have either of you read the michael phillips versions oh yes is that what you have primarily read nope uh you can't really see it here you can see part of it but this is the start of a wall of george mcdonald in the early days you couldn't find george mcdonald as i was mentioning so whatever you found was gold though some of it you would find in edited versions some you would find in unedited versions but it was a hunt
2: I have not read any of the Michael Phillips edited editions. I guess I should openly admit that I'm biased against them, that I have prejudged them. But uh, I just want the straight stuff. But yes, when I first started reading McDonald, I found that it was difficult to find his stuff in print. But I was happy to find a very nice collection on Project Gutenberg and started reading him that way. And I found that the kind people would put that collection together had included a Scots to English dictionary, which helped me, within the course of reading one book, get pretty comfortable with reading Scots, and I just continued reading them that way.
1: I remember when the Phillips books first came out, I started reading every one as it came out, and so did my wife. They were fine, the thread of the story, and they captured certain things, but when I found the and finally got some of the original stuff i i find it much better i don't i don't think i would read them again particularly but uh i think he did a quite a good service to people who were looking for macdonald at least for me then
0: and introducing people to macdonald yeah, um, so that's what i mean exactly a lot, a lot of people aren't going to dive into victorian novels they're going to look for something quicker easier as kind of their gateway once they're hooked then they're going to seek out originals and those things at least that's been my experience and other folks have done that uh in lesser ways prior to there's always been somebody putting stuff out elizabeth yates did sir Gibby, catherine Lindsay did a couple that's kind of been an ongoing thing he did it in a, in a much larger scale but it is about half the book yeah the other people that came out at the time were the Johansens, um, who started reprinting originals, usually in sets of like five, I believe it was.
1: Yeah. Sean got me a few sets of those once in the, maybe in the nineties, maybe before that. I'm not sure. Yeah, and that think, was when I switched, switched over.
0: Yeah. So that's, that really contributed to people loving the originals too. I think though, was having them available. Mm-hmm. Um and now, of course, with Gutenberg and those things, it's it's super easy to access. But there's a ton of stuff available now. And there's a ton of scholarly stuff available now. So I'm hoping we'll be able to get some of those people on as well.
2: Yep. And there's quite a few good free audio versions of his books on LibriVox. Uh, some better than others, like everything on LibriVox. Some narrators, readers are better than others, more talented than others. And some use better audio equipment than others. Wow. Yeah some George McDonald's stuff on Libra is quite good
0: thing. And it certainly helps if you're visually impaired or have a hard time accessing stuff.
2: And you can't argue with free
0: free is good. Yes. So we each
2: talked a bit about how and when we got into McDonald, and we each seemed to have said that we were immediately hooked. Maybe Dan and Dale, you could each talk about what it was that immediately hooked you.
0: You want to go first Dale? Go ahead. All right. Um, The Well, the first I read was the fantasies, so that was already a proclivity of mine. I love Tolkien, I love Narnia, I love the Stephen Donaldson series, a variety of other fantasy stuff. As a little boy, Tarzan, John Carter of Mars, all that. So that was kind of a natural segue. As a person of faith, I grew up in the Deep South and had some initial faith, then rejected that faith based on some poor interactions with people. And spent years reading philosophy, theology, for the express purpose of debunking it, shredding it, arguing against it. So that went for years and years and years of my life. You did not want to be the person knocking on my door to share the gospel with me, because I would invite you in, take your Bible, and find things to upset you with. Uh, it was not very nice.
1: But you kept re- reading McDonald from the time you were 17 through all of that as well?
0: Well, this was before 17 precocious fellow uh yep a little bit books were always my thing so and probably the same thing <laughs> of me, but so by the time i got to 17 uh, my favorite person ever gave me mere christianity and it was really the first time i had seen anyone apply logic to faith and that it's an amazing it's imperfect but it was an amazing read she also gave me Fantasies and Loaths. so mm-hmm. part of the coming back to faith was coming back to a relationship with god as opposed to a relationship with church so in order to discover what i believed i had to divorce what i thought and what i understood from organizations from churches from all of that and just see if i had a problem with god and i didn't have a problem with god i had a problem with men's organizations so then when i started reading george it's very love-centered it's very based on relationship with god as opposed to relationship with a particular sect or a particular ideology and that was kind of a natural segue to it being something real and not something that was organizational so for me that was kind of a a entryway back to faith and really the only way I, i retain my faith to this day is is it being a personal relationship it being honest and i found that in spades in george mcdonald and he would you know say things like what you would find objectionable in a man you're going to find objectionable in a clergyman or in someone's presentation of god good is good bad is bad that's just how it is and those things really resonated so that was kind of a kind of a natural attraction i think and i'm not opposed to churches i'm not opposed to different people's ways back to their faith that was just my personal way back.
1: Yeah, I guess he can do that.
2: <laughs> of course, George himself had some problems, some difficulties with churches, and you can glean some of that from his characters and happenings in his novels.
0: Though, interestingly enough, even with those difficulties, there are constant letters and references to him being invited to preach, him being invited to, to take over pastorship once his books had started. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that difficulty was early days. Even so, at least
2: what I gleaned from his novels, he stayed quite critical of a certain type of preacher or priest, a type that he seemed quite familiar with.
0: Well, Calvinism was definitely uh, presented to him as other than how he saw God, which, again, is nothing against modern Calvinists or anyone of that faith, but that definitely was part of his journey. Right. But then you have characters like Granny, where he also sees the good and the relationship with God in them, Granny and Robert Falconer. Speaking of Granny and Robert Falconer, I know uh,
2: it's been, well, it's been some years since I've read that, actually. But to my memory, she's a prominent figure in the first several chapters of that book. And Robert spends a fair amount of time trying to sort out the juxtaposition or perhaps contradiction between the sincerity Of her prayers and his known love of her for him and the admonishing and judgmental ways in which she practices her faith and imposes it upon Robert in the ideas of how she thinks he should conduct himself in his life. There are several other examples of Macdonald being critical of some of the aspects of the practiced faith that he grew up around, but nonetheless it's mostly about the practice and only a couple points. the
0: proclaimed doctrine so back to your original question i'm curious to hear your and dale's answer to the same. do you want to go dale or should i keep blabbing
1: go ahead you're doing fine well
2: as i mentioned before the first book of his that i ever picked up was david elginbrod and i believe it begins as early as the first chapter but certainly by the third chapter there have been a few examples of the character david elginbrod praying And the way he prayed somehow just really touched my heart. At that time, I was still somewhat of a young adult in my later 20s. I did have faith, and I was a believer, but um, maybe to reuse some of the language that Dan used, I perhaps had a bit too much relationship with church and not enough relationship with God. Though I yearned for it. It was something I wished I had, I just was not putting a lot of direct effort into obtaining it. Anyway, when I came across those prayers and the way David prayed, something about them spoke to my heart. Then, uh, through that novel, and then subsequently other McDonald's novels that I read, I came to have a new perspective on what a real relationship with God would be like which actually wasn't any much different than what I'd heard at church, but somehow listening to it and watching the characters in the novels gave me a pragmatic path toward developing that relationship. It gave me examples that I needed. Uh, Some of us respond better to some types of examples than others, and McDonald gave me what felt like kindred spirits to use as examples. So that's what hooked me. Within a few chapters of reading the first book, I could tell that it was giving me something I needed and it made me yearn for more.
1: Awesome. I don't think I parse things out as favorites, particularly or specifics, a lot of times. And I think in part it has to do with, I, I, I think McDonald. From of early on, for me, it was a kindred spirit that I d- didn't know existed, probably. And that he I think one of the, one of the growth elements for me has been when somebody says something or I read something that either clarifies or agree with, with something that's already there or that's already kind of working its way along. And in the sometime in the early seventies, I guess it would have been at a church that I went to for a while. That was a real, for me, it was a real teaching kind of place. It was a huge mega church actually in Ohio. And I played the piano for it and things like that. You know, it was one of those places that people don't like particularly there were 2,500 people at every service, they had to have two services in the morning and one at the night to make it go and things like that. But I didn't think about that. It didn't, that didn't matter because of the way that the guy was preaching. And one of his statements frequently was truth and time go hand in hand. And I remember that from very early and it's something that has maintained. And And I see that in McDonald's. I don't know if he ever read McDonald himself or anything like that, but I I see that sense of him there, and that drive for uh, I just read one of the sermons again for the second time. The creation in Christ, I believe it is, very compelling, very demanding, very poignant about. Uh, Creation in Christ, and that it's all in in love, and he makes a statement in there about people who are growing into childlikeness, and that's part of what that process I think is, and and why I think I see in his writing a lot of times he's working out he's working out his own sense of his own salvation in his writing. And I'm sure he was doing that in his his discussions and things. I mean, that's one of the things I was thinking about our thing is if we sat down with him and started recording the four of us with a cup of tea or whatever, what how would he look at something like this in some ways? How would he he had these conversations with people, I think. You know, we know about Lewis and his cronies. (laughs) smoking their pipes and sipping on beers and things like that. It seems like something that the kind of thing that you sort of long for. It's not something I have anymore. I've had it rarely, really. But some like mindedness. So that's what I see with him is the like mindedness, I think, that began I don't know how it began with him. I, I know where it really got going with me was it again in the early seventies. Even that about that same time that I heard heard this guy start saying truth and time go hand in hand, was reading the scripture that says that I will write my word on your heart. And I'm not sure I had ever heard that in the way that I did at that point. And I remember saying, I don't know what that means, and I don't know what it takes, but do that to me. And I think McDonald must have done that himself at some point. You know, to get to the point of of continuing to seek as he does and he continues to seek i mean some of the some of the quotes in the letters that his son has in the the book from when he was 30 31 years old i was reading today in the mid 1850s when he went to huntley and he was writing back and forth with his wife or writing to his father, and his father says certain things, and, and he comments back to him. And then the sermon is in the third book, and it's from 1889. He would have been 65 years old when he was writing that. And the, and this thread, like I said earlier, seems to still be there, that he he's still who he is, and he's still seeking To be more childlike, to have faith and to love God as God loves him and encouraging us to do that, encourages readers to do that and come along. You know, I think I think the other thing for me is that reading his stuff like like when when I read his unspoken sermons, he usually has one one or two Bible verses that he starts writing about. But when I read it, I hear all sorts of other Bible verses in there that he has drawn on what he's saying and trying to put these things together in the Gospels and then from the Gospels with what Jesus actually taught and what he actually said and what his disciples observed in him. And then what Paul got out of that later as he was trying to teach the practical application in a lot of ways to people by in confronting them in certain ways, but always encouraging them uh, in the same sense in, in, in a way. I mean, I, I, I think McDonald's thing was, he was seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and, and trying to discover how all the things would be added unto him And realizing it wasn't the things, it was more righteousness that he was after, more love and more oneness to actually understand the oneness. That's that's what I see in all of his stuff and the characters that he brings into the novels. I I like the way he plays out the novels and works with these characters, with people who are pretty awful that, that you know are there, the sorts of people that Lewis calls the unthinking masses, you know. That sort of thing. So I do wonder how how it would be what, how he would look at a discussion like this in a way, you know.
0: Well, he definitely was uh, involved in the literary circles, the art circles, society circles, and working with the poor. So I'm sure conversation with us would be small potatoes compared to all the conversations he already had. I don't know.
1: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's another sort of comparative thing that I'm not, I wasn't trying to indicate that. I don't he, think he was fond of comparison. I think he was fond of taking what you have and do what it'll do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, not all the seeds bear the same amount of fruit.
0: Yep. I think he would encounter some of the same problems today though that he did in his day in that we have parsed out into little groups and everybody's right all the time um except when they're wrong and then they're right and it just goes round and round so I, I think a lot of it would be familiar to him as well absolutely um, and part of the joy of this is that we don't have to agree on everything and we don't have to be in lockstep to be together um in faith and in heart Um, and I think that's one of the things that's missing in uh religious life and uh society currently is folks meeting others where they're at I think George was exemplary at that his faith he also speaks continually through all of his ages about dealing with doubt about dealing with loss you know as he's having children die as he's having various Uh, health issues, so I think it was all very real to him as well, because the practical side of that, as you say, because he was encountering all these things that happen in our lives.
1: I agree. Again, that's the kindredness that I see. (laughs) George
2: himself said, I hope it is not necessary to agree with a man in everything before we can have a high opinion of him.
0: That's one of my all-time favorite quotes. Seems very apt for our time. Yep.
1: I was thinking about this and wrote some notes last week or whenever when we started talking about it, some, and wrote the question, basic premise, which we talked about a little bit of what this should be. And the words I wrote down are inform, encourage, entertain, and instruct because it'll be at different levels for anybody that might listen to it potentially. And, and that the next thing I asked was how did we, how do we do that? And it, and what came to me was in combination of narrative and backstory, which is a little bit of what we're doing right now. How did you find him? What do you like about him? And, and getting friendly with each other enough to be able to kind of do that. And that in that, you just said about being honest. I think we have to be honest and just and speak the truth and love. I think that's what he would have done in whatever it was, whether he was going to be judged by it or or not. <laughs> you know,
2: every one of his novels, he has several points where his characters, you know, George's words through his characters and in his narration, he's encouraging us to see the world as it really is, to see people as they really are, to act. Truly toward people, rather than using pretenses or prejudging, etc. That's the McDonald approach—just honesty.
0: And if we're going to be interviewing people, we're going to encounter a wide range of thoughts and beliefs, and that we already do on Facebook. So, so I think that fits in well. But, and hopefully, we'll have some fun with it too.
2: Yeah, I look forward to getting to know you guys a lot more, having some fun with you, and all the people we might interview. I'm sure it'll be a great experience
0: for everyone. So did we all bring a quote? We had talked about that.
1: Oh, no, I don't I don't oh. know if I did.
0: All right. Go ahead, Dan. What'd you bring? Oh, I got tons. This is <laughs> uh this is a journal from way back when, where back when I was hand copying uh cool. stuff from George, where I would find it. She had done her duty. I And did not need to be told that we have nothing to do with consequences, only with what is right. That's from home again, I believe. Um, I find that super practical in my personal life. Again, I work with with troubled teens. In the environments I work in and whatnot, you can't openly share the gospel. You can't proselytize. And you can't guarantee results. So there are kids I work with who will go on to have wonderful, happy lives. And there are kids I work with whose lives will be tragic. Uh, Right. But the piece of it that I'm responsible for is being true and honest and doing what is right for my portion of their life. So that's one of the George quotes that hit me particularly hard back when I first read it. Read it again. She had done her duty and did not need to be told that we have nothing to do with consequences, only with what is right.
2: So I also have my own collection of quotes, uh, it's 327 pages long so far. And I found quickly, I have it in digital form so I can search and, uh, I found quickly, there's a similar, very similar quote in the Seaboard Parish. The quote is all that we have to think of is to do right. Not the consequences of doing right.
1: Yeah, that's a great one.
2: Almost the same thought
1: well one that i wrote down just today or the other day is it must be a dreadful trial to her but no trial is of the great sea on which all others other loves are but the surface waves none of us will live very long here and then we shall go into the unknown the great unknown wondrous world which so many of our dear friends know already and where they are quietly awaiting our arrival that's a letter that, that he wrote to his father about his stepmother and sick sister Bella before he went to see them. He hadn't been to Huntley since before he'd been married and his comment about the, about the trials, you know, (laughs) that I'm, I, I copy them and send myself an email. That's where they are. And I have books that are written down with them too, but I don't know where they are. Probably I lost the majority of them in the flood anyway, so (laughs) it's what's left that matters, right?
0: It's all on loan anyway. That's right.
1: Food to eat and gain strength and continue in doing the next right thing. I love some of his quotes about, one in particular about that Donald Grant says of Gibby that he had learned to live in the eternal present. Every time I read that, it knocks my socks off. I wrote a book on that, on the eternal present, that uh, just writing about that, what does that mean about being in the eternal present? And one of the ways that I know, again, that I feel like I can relate to him is something else I wrote down here. And that is, as a poet, I understood the creative process, inspiration attended by hard work, the killing of his own gems as replaced by the light of the world. I, I think he probably wrote these little gems that were were crafty and Jesus replaced them with truth and life instead and light in a different way that glimmered of continuity, purposeful discipline, with increased skill growing into childlikeness and as a teacher he learned to craft his explanations while imparting skills ever encouraging ours along the way our ears to hear he's always encouraging ears to hear i think when he writes and he would have he would have others understand but would not coddle their ears ears that refuse to hear or to listen. He says stuff like that quite frequently. I would do everything I could to help them understand, but if they won't do their part, it's okay with me. They can go on their own way, but I'm going to continue to speak the truth. That's kind of one of his things somewhere along the way that I, that I remember. And as a Christian, he did not judge based on appearance because he believed and trusted God, was, and would work all things together for good. I think that's what I see in his stuff too, and was himself encouraged by how he observed the process in small degrees, a flower, a child, or profound natural events, storms. It seems like he loves standing by the sea and describing the sea and its wrath and he has characters that love to walk in a thunderstorm in a, or a blizzard and things like that to, to get something out of the wrath that nature seems to have on our, our beings. Um, and also a, a mechanical advances, you know, the, the events of mechanical things. He starts talking about trains sometimes going at these terrible speeds and things like that. He has a view of space, pace, and time, of God in all, ever seeking his own to come and follow him and would not interfere apart from confronting abject lies. That's the thing that I think he confronted was were lies. He wouldn't put up with that in any, any way by speaking the truth in love. He spoke the truth. And one of the other things that's interesting to me is, is that, and I wonder with this is he, he tends to use negatives to create certain contrasts of things and starts sometimes with, with a negative to replace it with, with a, a positive, a dark to replace it with light. And I think about, Sometimes when I read him in that way, I think about David in Psalm 37 saying, fret not yourself after evildoers. And I don't think he did. But I think he saw that. But I think he does it to move to the light, to the positive, encouraging declaration of truth. And understands that nothing will be hidden, (laughs) regardless of circumstances or anything else. Well, those are a few things that I jotted down. There are a lot of topics that we've sort of hit upon.
2: We definitely have hit us several topics. Maybe we can conclude by giving listeners an idea
0: of what we want to do with future episodes of this podcast. I'm I'm sure as we'll go along, we'll hit some of the hot topic items uh, that always come up surrounding George. Um, Universalism probably being one of the biggest ones. But that will be a whole conversation (laughs) but that recurs over every group i've been in every um, discussion around george eventually trails back to that i'm sure some of those other themes will come back around as well but mostly i hope we just enjoy sharing his work and the impact it's had on us and enjoying the fellowship of other people that appreciate it
2: looking forward to it might i end with a quote from the book david elginbrod One of David's prayers, the prayer concludes this way, and I guess I will on the fly translate from Scots into English, as I won't even attempt a fake Scottish accent. He says, that is, David in his prayer says, Grant that more and more thoughts of thy thinking may come into our hearts day by day, till there shall be at last an open road between thee and us and thy angels may ascend and descend upon us, so that we may be in thy heaven, even while we are upon thy earth. Amen. Beautiful.
1: That's a great one.